Welcome, this is Tapping into Creativity, a podcast in which we explore the magic that happens when creativity, art and education meet. We are a group of professionals and pioneers from Ireland, Greece, Serbia, Austria and the Netherlands working together. By sharing stories, we hope to learn about successful practices throughout Europe and inspire you with the lessons learned. I am Manja Eland and I am Linda Rosen. We are your hosts. Good afternoon, Linda. So, ready for our next episode. Can you tell us a little bit about your guest? I spoke to Jane O'Hendon, who is the Education Officer of Poetry Ireland. Mm -hmm. She runs the scheme Writers in Schools in the whole of Ireland. The scheme has been running for 18 years already and has involved 500,000 children who had the chance to work with a writer in their classroom. Sounds cool. Yes, and big numbers as well. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what you're taking away from this conversation? What struck a chord with you? Well, first of all, I think what's really interesting is that Jane started her career working in prison as a teacher. Mm -hmm. So she's a teacher herself. And she has some really nice experience from that work that she integrates into this work. So I think that's interesting to hear because, of course, inmates are something completely different than primary school children. Yes, that makes me curious. And then also she told me that why she values learning from the arts. She said that artists can help with the bigger questions of life because an artist is always trying to figure out who he or she is and why and how they are in relationship to the world. And these questions, although they can be uncomfortable and really big questions, they're really important to get a grasp on as children grow up, I guess. That's an interesting point of view and also something to linger with. So who am I and how do I relate to the world? Yes, exactly. Hmm. And why are we here? Big questions. Well, let's dive in and see how they are answered. Yes. So today we are joined by Jane O'Hanlon from Ireland and she is the Education Officer of Poetry Ireland. Uh, good morning, Jane. Good morning, Linda. It's great to be here. It's great to have you. We're very happy that you agreed to join this interview. Could you first introduce yourself to our listeners? My name is Jane and I'm the Education Officer with Poetry Ireland, which is an organisation, the organisation responsible for poets and poetry on the island of Ireland, both nationally and internationally, founded in 1978. My role is Education Officer and we run the Writers in School Scheme, which is the National Literature in Education Scheme. And we run it on the whole of the island of Ireland. We're funded by both of the Arts Councils, the Arts Council of Ireland on Corla Allian and the Arts Council of Northern Ireland to run the Writers in Schools scheme, which basically means that we bring writers into schools at primary level and at secondary level to work with children and young people, living contemporary writers so that the children and young people can actually meet somebody who's working in a creative domain. Okay, thank you for that. Can you tell us a little bit more about you? What do you want others to know about you? What's your role? How did you get into this job? 
Um, my role is multifaceted, but it generally, and at the very beginning, back in 2000, when I began this role, my job was to develop the Writers in School, which at that stage was quite a small scheme. It had been founded by the Arts Council in 1977 and then devolved to Poetry Ireland in 1996 under the directorship of the then director, Theo Dorgan. And it was in 2000 that I was brought on board to basically broaden the scheme, bring it particularly to second level where it was not successful because second level schools in every country have much different timetables and much different pressures. There's no room to actually run things like arts programmes and particularly when arts programmes were considered much more so then than now as being very much extra and additional and maybe not that necessary. So my job was to do that. The other part of my job was to bring in the writer in residence, which meant that we were looking to have writers working in schools for much longer periods of time than just a one-off visit, which the TAP programme is an example of Mm -hmm. in much more recent times. And also, I think you'll appreciate this, coming from the Netherlands, Mm -hmm. the issue of the Irish language and working in the Irish language and how that happened. So that's the background to that. My own background is quite diverse. I started off working with early school leavers in the north of Dublin. Mm -hmm. I am from the country and, of course, came to Dublin to go to college and to work and went from there into the prison system where I taught in the prison system for 10 years. An amazing experience, always working with people who have, for one reason or another, fallen through the system. It's very, very interesting because as somebody who's doing that work, and I know people say it and it's a cliche, but you learn much more than you'll ever teach. And it's that wonderful exchange that makes this work so wonderful. And that's where the arts come in as well, because it is all about the relationship and the exchange. And in the prison system, did you work from the arts as well? And how did you do that? No, my job in the prison system was much more as a teacher. So I taught English, but I taught English at every level. I taught from reading and writing because my background was in adult education. Okay. Having done my degree, I did adult education. So reading and writing, but then right through to creative writing. And that was when I began to get into the arts-based learning piece. And I was very lucky in my work in the prisons to have some wonderful writers in residence working with me, including our own former Ireland Chair of Poetry, Paula Meehan. So I learned the power of an artist being in a room with people, particularly when that artist understood the people that he or she was in the room with in the sense that they were open to those experiences, even if they were very extreme and they were open to seeing where that could go, that it was organic. So I began to understand that arts learning, aesthetic learning worked on a very different level to anything that I had seen before. But my instinct was this was very, very powerful and I saw what could be done. So this is where your fire for arts and learning was ignited. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And such a special place to be, I guess, in a prison with people who maybe did not have the chances or got on the wrong track. Yeah, it was quite an amazing experience. The most amazing experience, apart from working with the writers, was, and I had wonderful colleagues, I have to say, in there. Marcy Barron was my supervising teacher and she was just amazing. But the most amazing thing was through Read King Lear Mm -hmm. with a group of people who actually understood Lear from the inside. That was one of the most amazing experiences of my entire teaching career, I have to say. I can imagine. We can talk about the writers in school scene a lot, but I think it's also important to know what makes you tick and what makes you get up and do your work every day. And these kind of examples 
they just prove how much art can do in various backgrounds and various programs. So after the prison, then what happened? Literally, I applied. I saw an advertisement on the paper for an education officer for Poetry Ireland. And I've always been very instinctual when it comes to jobs. (laughs) And all the jobs that have worked are the ones I've known instinctively I'd like. I applied. I got an interview. I couldn't believe it. And then I was called back for a second interview. And that's how I got this job. Yeah. And it's been just completely amazing because it was like I was made for this job or this job maybe was made for me in actuality I've created I suppose Mm. the role as I've gone along but the working in the arts I discovered was the place for me in terms of being able to try things experiment and particularly it gave me a huge canvas for collaboration which I know is a big part of what you do and what and particularly what tap does but collaboration so from the very get-go my work has been collaborative right across various other bodies that are interested in or would be interested or were prepared to be interested in providing enhanced arts and education so that was one of the great things and the other thing was to be part of a small team (laughs) a small dynamic team where you could make decisions and get things done and that was absolutely wonderful it sounds like you love it yeah (laughs) yeah that sounds wonderful um you were talking about collaboration and you were right of course the ITA program is all about bringing people with different perspectives together and in this case it's about an artist and a teacher who have different perspectives could you tell me something about how you manage all those different perspectives and aims maybe because in collaboration you might also have different aims with what you want to do How does that work in your field, in your job? Yeah, obviously, this is the key point. And I think a big part of making it work is about building the partnerships and the relationships. And they take time. A partnership doesn't happen simply because you decide to work together with somebody. A partnership definitely happens over time. So a lot of my work initially was about meeting people like the local authority arts officers, um, meeting people who were running festivals, meeting people who were uh, involved, particularly our education and training boards used to be the vocational education service. They provide an awful lot of hidden funding for the arts in this country. So meeting all of those, having been a VEC, a teacher who taught with the education and training boards mm-hmm. was great because I did, I had a sense of the bodies. So a lot of my work initially was meeting people, making the case for funding, applying for funding, mm-hmm. but building relationships. So I've had relationships with a lot of the people we work with, some of them for 20 years. Mm-hmm. So it means we can pick up the phone and talk to each other. Of course, the other really important thing was schools, getting to talk to teachers, getting into schools, being in schools, visiting schools, Mm -hmm. being a physical presence and not just a body on a telephone in Dublin, because we have a rural urban divide here in Ireland as well. And uh, we're very conscious of, and I'm from the country, um, and we're very conscious of the fact that, you know, there's a sort of a Dublin centric sense sometimes that things, you know, only happen and we don't move from here. So we spend a lot of time on the road. Okay myself and my two colleagues visiting schools seeing performances visiting the writers in the classroom so but having made connections with schools and teachers and principals 
then the other group of people I had to really get to know and they some of them were already mm-hmm. there with the writers. And that has been the greatest joy to work with some of the writers that I have, we have worked with and do work with over the years has been just tremendous. Going into schools, watching them work, listening to them talk about their craft, listening to the exchange. And this is the piece and this is where the teacher artist partnership is so strong. The exchange of skills and what we have done in the writers and schools since the beginning, the exchange, the respect for the disciplines, the respect for two professionals working in the same space and the ability again to listen to each other. So all of that was I learned and we created the conditions where that could happen. So we ran things and we run a thing called our Writers Forum, where every year we bring our writers together to talk about what has happened during the year. And if we can, we bring teachers Mm -hmm. into that space if they've got the time, which they don't have very much of these days. And so it's creating that very much that listening piece whereby people hear what will work and what won't work, what is working, what doesn't work, what can work. But most, I suppose, inspiringly and brilliantly is to hear the kids. Okay. When you hear the work that they create, some of which is quite astonishingly good. And my dream is that arts and education, arts learning and aesthetic learning would become as valued as any other and every other form of learning. Mm -hmm. And that we would put the resources in and the supports in to make sure that that happens for every child in the country, for every child in the country. Because arts learning is expressive, collaborative, dialogical and immediate. And it draws on the cognitive, effective parts of the brain that mean that the learning builds up the child's self-esteem and their identity. So you're into very serious educational territory in a way that which is what the best of what we want to do in education. And the arts do that by and of their very nature. They don't have to strain to do it. They are that education. And I suppose if we could convince our funders and our people who are in positions to create curriculum particularly, and curriculum is always a political device, you know, the learning of the piece comes secondary to the political necessities of the day, which is, you know, one understands that. But if we could persuade and continue to persuade our legislators that this is the most important thing they can actually do for education, that would be my dream. Okay. It's political, you say. That's an uh, interesting uh, statement. I didn't think about it like that, but I guess you're right. The curriculum is thought of in politics, of course. And whoever has the loudest voice gets the most time. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So you started out as a teacher for adults. Can you tell me something about why did you choose to become a teacher? I suppose I always wanted to be some sort of teacher. Um, I thought initially it would be primary. Then I went to college Mm -hmm. because I didn't necessarily want to go to teacher training college. And I went to college and did English and classics and Irish and philosophy. But when I came through that system, I realized and I had never particularly liked secondary school so I realized I did not want to teach in secondary school so I did adult education I was in a situation where I was doing a lot of voluntary work I came out of college in the 80s there were no jobs so I did a lot of work what we would now call interning but what at the time was called working for nothing um, (laughs) basically yes and I did three years of that and I was very lucky to have friends who 
worked in Dublin and particularly in and around the northeast inner city. So I got to do quite a lot of work and I realised that actually adult education was where I was really kind of drawn in, particularly the philosophy mm-hmm. and the rationale and the understanding of learning, which was all about empowering the learner and respecting what the learner already brought to the situation and self-directed learning. So, you know, arts learning encompasses all of these pieces and of course peer-to-peer work and all of that and direct feedback and a mutuality in terms of that you and the learner are on the same level actually and they're bringing certain things and you're bringing certain things and if you don't know something as a teacher that that's okay (laughs) and and your strongest point is admitting it so all of that I suppose was the reason I I chose adult ed and uh, went in then working with absolutely glorious youngsters in North Dublin who taught me a huge amount about all kinds of things and I loved working with them they were just fabulous they went on strike on me they did everything Um, (laughs) and it was just brilliant and it was a very deprived area of Dublin and I admired I suppose I admired so many things their humanity their courage their their ability to endure Mm -hmm. and I saw more and more extreme aversions of that when I started to work in the prison and again I suppose I've never seen greater humanity than I've seen in the prison wow from everybody involved so yeah that was an amazing 10 years colleagues wise and students wise and colleagues across various disciplines and then from then I came into this and I'm using more or less the same skills I've always used How do you feel working in the projects that you work in now that you bring the skills that you've learned as a teacher and in the prison or in north of Dublin? How does it help you in this function? Because basically it's about openness initially. And that's what I learned. I came Mm -hmm. to, I was very green and much younger even than my years when I started working with the early school leavers and then went into the prison. Even then still very green about the realities of people's lives and I suppose, understanding what people go through and how they have the resources to survive. And I think that's where the arts come in, Mm -hmm. because we've learned through this pandemic that actually the arts are not window dressing. We need the arts to survive because the arts are about meaning making. And that was the whole question. When you're dealing with people who are in prison, whose lives are in bits, or you're dealing with a youngster who's dealing with dreadful situation and and has fallen through the cracks in the education system and all of that, or you're dealing in schools with a whole uh, group of young people in front of you, you know, who have multifaceted needs and uh, different crises in their lives. And as we are now in, in the pandemic, we need to understand. We're always asking the questions, who am I? Why am I here? Whether we like it or not, we're asking those questions. The first people drew on the caves in Lasalle and before that to try and make sense of why they're here. They looked up at the skies. They did these things in order to begin to this self-consciousness that began to happen. Why are we here and what are we about? And that is what the arts is about. And every child in school is asking that question. Teenagers who do rap and hip hop and spoken word when they're dealing with all the very current and pressing things around climate change, around where they live, around deprivation. They're asking all those questions. That's why the arts is so important and why what we do is so, and why what I did in one place completely mapped on. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't expected it, but I wasn't looking for it not to be the case. Me as a person working, 
I was dealing with something that was no different. I was dealing now in a different area and I was beginning to work with artists and seeing how artists use themselves to understand the world. They're prepared to go places we don't go. And that's what they bring into the classroom to work with the teachers. And that's what those teachers who can work with that and are open to that, that's where those teachers also go with those artists. And that's what they bring to the children. A level of honesty, willingness to look and to be vulnerable Mm -hmm. and a willingness to try and not to be afraid. This is the key piece to take risks and make mistakes. And as one youngster said to me, we could make mistakes and learn from them and go on. Isn't that what we're trying to work with all the time? And what every teacher is trying to work with to say, you got this far. Now you can go another bit. And that's what we're trying to do all the time. Yeah. So I think the arts bring everything that we can possibly need. Mm-hmm. And that's why human beings created them in the first place. They're not an afterthought. They were the before thought. <laughs> arts is not an afterthought. It's the before thought. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. So in the beginning, you said in your job in the Writers in School scene, it was your job to bring it on a much more strong position within the secondary schools. Did it happen? And how did you do it? It did. And it happened because we created the Writer in Residence project. Okay. And that was where a writer goes into a school and spends a number of weeks once a week, over a number of weeks, uh, doing a number of sessions with the same group of students. And we try to keep it to 20, which is even big enough, so that the group is only about 20 to 22 students. Ah, okay, the group's 20. Yeah. And so we started off with the idea that there would be eight sessions, eight one-and-a-half-hour sessions. And the writer goes in and works with the group for that number of sessions. And we also made it that it would map across what would be for us in our system here roughly a double class period so two classes because you need about an hour and a half to do anything like you know it's just not possible to do anything in less than that kind of time and that worked for the secondary because I knew secondary schools I knew what would be needed in order to make it happen and so the writer in residence we introduced it works at primary school level as well but it's very very good for second level because it works as a module and teachers can actually work it around a particular theme so without it becoming enslaved to the curriculum or enslaved to a particular you know set of curricular outcomes it actually serves to underpin Mm -hmm. whatever piece they're particularly interested in maybe so we have residencies that work around okay general themes it could be around poetry it could be around short story writing it could be around general creative writing it could be around something as specific as the sonnet It can also be around screenwriting or drama, and we do it in the Irish language. So all of those. And then we also have what we call our wraparound, which is our spoken word rap hip hop set of residencies, Mm -hmm. which we run with the Junior Certificate Schools Programme Demonstration Library Service, which is an absolutely fabulous initiative here that was meant to be rolled out to 50 schools but actually has only managed to get to 30 schools and they're DESH schools which means they're areas of particular need and these are designated library spaces in the schools that are for joyful interaction with books and reading they're not for detention they're not for anything else so Mm -hmm. but our wraparound program is fantastic and the kids that participate in it and we have 
lots of schools every year that participate and we bring them all together at the end and they showcase their work and the work they create it they craft it and then they perform it and again you see the collaboration the cooperation and the absolute learning that goes on with this work it also obviously is building up their verbal skills and that's become very important now in our second level curriculum there's finally a recognition that if you can't say it you can't write it so the notion of building up verbal skills is now very much core and centre to our junior cycle curriculum. So, and it's really exciting mm-hmm. and the work is exciting. And we see performers, actual performers, who will become actors or poets or whatever they will be, writers in the making. And it's pretty amazing. We have a set of residencies then that have development and global education theme. And those residencies work primary and post-primary but they work particularly at post-primary level and the global global citizenship is the theme. And we have a number of writers who are very active in terms of being activists as well as being very skilled writers. Wow. And in fact, one of those has just started in County Clare with one of our writers, John W. Sexton. And that might be something I will give you some pictures of where John yeah. is actually doing some terrific work around a global education themes with eight schools in Clare. Um, and that's in collaboration with the Clare Education Centre and Clare Arts Office. So again, that collaboration means that that can happen in the schools. Mm-hmm. And those local collaborations are so very, very important. So our residencies range right across a whole, I suppose, plethora of things. And we're always very open to creating new residency collaborations with potential or ongoing partners and we have a lot of partnerships particularly among the local authority arts offices that just keep moving we have another set of residencies that work with people who have been or are possibly in direct provision can you explain it uh we have a system in ireland for people who are coming from other countries okay um, and it's been in existence and it thankfully it is about to be taken out of existence soon. What well, people who come, they go into a system called direct provision, whereby they live in accommodation provided until their residency status is established. OK, so there are a lot of people in our school system and in these uh, direct provision centres who don't have, maybe can't work because the residency hasn't been established and who are trying to, you know, establish themselves in the communities in a new country. And so one of the areas of need we felt was to provide some sort of arts provision. So we're involved in that and we work in that with another organisation called IBI, IBI Ireland, the International Board on Books for Young People. And so that's a partnership whereby we're providing some of these uh, writer-in-residence programmes in some areas and have quite successfully done that as well so our writer in residence program is one that maps to to need and maps to where the partnership can exist and can be created yep and the tap program in many ways reflects that piece of learning i suppose Mm -hmm. that this is possible and the level of professionalism and training and expertise and above all passion and commitment that the teachers and the artists bring to the TAP program is what makes it work. Yes, yes. It's absolutely, it's wonderful. And it is an amazing development because it's the piece that was missing, the collaboration between departments so that artist-teacher partnership could really flourish. And it's terrific to see it. But it's the basis, the teacher and the artist working together and being able to work together, being able to respect each other, being able to learn from each other, And putting the, as they always do, but being able then to put the needs of the 
children right in the middle yeah. and work to that. And each of the professional input allows that to happen because one underpins the other and it creates a third space, which is what the arts do, create the third space. <laughs> and what you get in the classroom then, which is what we've always tried to do, is to create that third space. I'm not a fan of this term flipping the classroom, but it is essentially what happens. The classroom becomes a studio learning space where Mm -hmm. many more things are possible and very, very different sets of permissions are given. Permission to make mistake, permission to take risks, permission to be slightly different, even in your relationship with both the teacher and the artist and with each other. Mm -hmm. Because the respect for peer-to-peer learning and peer feedback and saying that that's important and that that is just as significant as the feedback you're going to get from other places and being able to question and maybe not agree all these things I think are what makes it so really rich yep you gave a very elaborate answer that's very nice thank you but I wanted to go back just a little bit Because I hear you speaking about the TAP program, which made me realize I'm not sure if it's the same in the Writers in School scheme. How does the school influence the residency and how does the residency influence the school? Okay, just in terms of the Writers in Schools, just to be really clear, the Writers in Schools started off as one single visit by a writer to a school. And then we developed the residency program that runs in parallel obviously. So we still have single visits to school where the writer goes in to the school and does a visit with the school and that's it. They do the two and a half hours and they leave. And then we have also our residency program where the writer goes in and spends up to eight visits with the same group. It's been a key cornerstone of the writing school since it started that the idea initially would be that the teacher makes the approach in terms of looking for a writer. Mm -hmm. We have a directory of writers that is available on our website And those writers, at this point, they go through an induction process. They go through initial training and everybody obviously is guard vetted so that they're all eligible to go into classrooms. And we do ongoing training there. So the teacher makes the approach. He or she may know that the writer they want or may not. So we would send them to the directory and, and you know, and they might come back and say it. And then, then they approach the writer. Mm-hmm. So we don't approach the writer necessarily, they do. And they have an initial conversation either by email or phone. So we're very clear that the writer and the teacher need to establish a relationship so that the teacher will say, this is my group. They're a mixed ability group. I have maybe one child in the class who's on the autistic spectrum. There are seven boys and eight girls or there's 11 boys and 12 girls. They're interested in science fiction. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, what I'd really like for them to be able to do is to be able to learn how to plan a story because they're all very good at starting, but they don't know the middle and they skip to the end. <laughs> so that's what happens. Okay. So the idea is that they have a very good conversation and we would encourage that. Mm-hmm. Now, it doesn't always happen, of course. but where it does happen, you get a much better exchange. The writer and the teacher then, you know, make an initial plan and have initial dates And then when the writer goes into the school and the thing starts, usually you end up scrapping that plan and something else, you know, will organically happen. Of course. Yeah. And that works because the teacher and the writer are already on the same page and the writers are very skilled and can do that. And then sometimes you get a school that will say, we want to do something on the sonnet. We want to really explore the sonnet very, and this will be second level, you know, very, very particularly. And they go in and they will actually work 
with great aesthetic power on the sonnet. So you can get that. One of the things that's really interesting about it and how does one affect the other? The teacher, in many cases, will always want some kind of end product. Mm -hmm. Okay, often. And our focus in the writers and schools, and it is in TAP as well, but certainly in the writers and schools has been, and in many arts projects that have run over the years, the process is really what's important. What happens at the end is what happens at the end. We want them to engage in the process of making art. Mm-hmm. That's what we want them to do. We want them to actually learn how to make art and get involved in that aesthetic process and that aesthetic learning. But schools have their exigencies. They need a product. Interestingly, when you make art, when you're involved in the process of making art with children and young people, they're very interested in making an artifact. They're very interested in creating that artifact, whether it's a piece of writing or a painting or whatever other particular art form, piece of drama, whatever it is. And when they're doing spoken word, they have their piece at the end. So one of the things that tends to be the case is that whereas for the artist, it'll be the piece of art or the artifact and the teacher, it'll be the product. The youngsters want something. And that thing that's created actually functions for both. For the teacher, it's their product. For the artist, it's the piece of art. And for the young person, as one artist said to me, and he was very perceptive, he said, it validates making that piece of art validates their participation in the process for them. Mm -hmm. So what you get is the piece that's created is kind of a boundary object whereby it actually functions in its own right as what it is, but it does something different for each person involved. And it's still authentically itself. And I think that's the power that when you have an artist and a teacher working really well together and they understand each other and they respect each other and nobody thinks anybody's trying to outmaneuver the other or, you know, mm-hmm. disrespect, then you get, that's probably not a good word, but, you know, that there's profound respect yeah. and understanding and a bit of, there needs to be a relationship. Then you find that the work that's produced actually not only is it does it fulfill those functions but it's actually excellent work and i suppose if i had another dream it would be that people would respect artists who work in education Mm -hmm. and not consider that maybe the work they do is somewhat lesser that used to be much more the case than it is now yes but often artists who work in education are not as respected the work is not considered as good as excellent and it's really interesting we buried a very very wonderful artist playwright and dramatist yesterday who I had the pleasure and the privilege of working with over the years Maeve Inglesby and uh, it was funny at her eulogy her son who gave her the most fantastic eulogy he said this he said this about the excellence of arts in education and how Maeve Inglesby uh, really championed that all her life and how it's, you know, still it wasn't as respected as it might be. So as we have, we've had a saying here that goes back to one of our political, one of our elections, a lot done, more to do, if you know what I mean. Mm. We've, we've achieved a lot, but there's still that sense that this work isn't as valuable, isn't as artistically excellent. And in actual fact, it's oftentimes more artistically excellent because when you think of the place where it's actually happening and the pressures that are coming on it. So, yeah, I suppose they would be the things I would say 
the relationship between the artist and the teacher, they need to establish it beforehand. They need to respect so that what the teacher wants, the artist is very clear about. And what the artist can do, the teacher is very clear about. And then where the whole thing begins to happen is when the kids start to do the work, because then magic happens in a way that, and I'm not using that word lightly, really interesting (laughs) things happen because they bring that whole piece to the mix, which is just fantastic. And we have had situations where particularly children maybe who are elective mutes or who are on the autistic spectrum, or I think Mm -hmm. people prefer to be called autistic, actually might for the very first time speak in the class, having participated in workshops with a writer. And we've had a, a number of teachers and we've actually witnessed it ourselves. And a number of teachers tell us that child has never spoken before in this class. That's amazing. It sounds very interesting to research what it is that makes them open up. Yeah. Uh, about research. Yeah. It's a nice little bridge to the research you have done. I read about your PhD, I think. Yeah. Can you tell me something about that? I suppose I really want, I was very tired Um, It's lovely to be able to talk to you this morning and and have this conversation and use language that we both understand and and concepts we both understand. I was very tired by the time 2010 came, having done this work for 10 years, to still be talking to uh, legislators and and decision makers and not being able to give them the kind of evidence that was required in the language that was required to be able to make the case for the arts in education. And also that started a degree here that I was happy to do was the EdD, which is an applied degree as opposed to um, a PhD. So I did an EdD, an excellent EdD from St. Patrick's College, which is now part of DCU. And I decided to research the writers, writers in residence because I thought, am I wasting my time here? Are we actually having any impact? Do these things work? And so what I did was I followed four writer in residence projects in four different schools in four different parts of the country, urban, rural, and then a small town, if you like. So all regular schools, all quite big schools, maybe eight to 900 students, and none of them private or anything like that. So they were all very regular. Um, and basically, I didn't create the residencies. They were already going to be taking place. And I got permission from the schools and the artists and the teachers and the parents to be able to go in and literally sit in on those residencies from the beginning to the end. So I did that in four different schools and they were my case studies, if you like. Mm -hmm. And then I interviewed the teachers, I interviewed the writers and I did focus groups with the students and they were fun, let me tell you. Um, (laughs) And particularly the one where they wouldn't tell me anything. And I did those at beginning, mid and end points of the residency. So it was quite a lot of work, quite a lot of information. And then, of course, in retrospect, I did a whole primary degree on educational theory, which I didn't have enough of. So I did. I filled all that back. And what I discovered was that and I was able to do a longitudinal study in that I was able to interview the students two years later, two years after they would have completed this piece of work. And I they were in what we call transition year, which is the year. It's like their fifth year, the year just before they do their final exam. Mm-hmm. So it's not their final exam year, the one before. It's a middle year. Uh, we have three junior cycle and three senior cycle years. So it's the middle, the senior cycle, the, sorry, the first of the senior cycle years. Sorry. Mm-hmm. And so I interviewed them then and asked them what they'd learned and how they were getting on with the writers and what they felt. And they were like, they could say a lot of 
really interesting things about it and particularly about feedback about feeling respected about being able to hear their work differently when the writer represented it to them about being able to discuss it openly and take the kind of what they call constructive criticism which by implication talks about other kinds of criticism they don't find so constructive talking about peer-to-peer feedback particularly working in groups which is something we don't do enough of in our second level system. And they love that mm-hmm. and all that collaboration and cooperation. But I went back two years later and two years later, and bear in mind that these were like 16 year olds when they did this. Two years later, I go back and verbatim, these youngsters, these now 17, 18 year olds, young men and women could talk to me and tell me about their experiences working with those writers over six weeks two years previously, and they could outline to me in great detail what they'd learned, how they'd learned it, how they felt it was different from what went on in the classroom, how important group work was, and how, in fact, groups should even be constructed for the best way for this work to happen, how some of them wouldn't have decided to do it, but were so glad they did, how it taught them to take risks, how it taught them to give and receive feedback, how it taught them to see and respect each other differently, how it taught them to write, how they used it to put their own thoughts down on paper and particularly for their own mental health. Mm. And this was boys, Mm -hmm. but also how they learned to craft their writing, particularly to craft and to recraft and to draft and to redraft and to learn to hear their own writing voice. Now, this was two years later. Only after six weeks of residency. That sounds amazing. Doesn't it? Yeah. And I guess that's why I was so delighted to learn it, because I felt we are doing what we need to do and we need to do more of it. You know what I mean? So that's what I learned. But the collaborative piece is so important. Mm. The group work piece is so important. The mutuality and the mutuality that's established by bringing a writer into the classroom and creating that third space where the teacher is also freed. And so many of the teachers talked about what they learned and how they adjusted their work by working with the writer and adjusted their perspective and were prepared to try and do different things. So you have a three-way exchange here. And those finds you have in this research, they sound meaningful. Did the thesis bring you what you wanted to do at the outset? Because you were just saying to me that you also wanted to do the research so you have the right language for talking to the legislators. Yeah. It did because, for instance, I'm having this conversation with you. Mm -hmm. We were involved in creating and supporting and in pushing the TAP program. I suppose, yeah, because we're we're now in a different place here in Ireland where the conversation has moved on considerably. And we have cross departmental. You have it, I think, in the Netherlands where you have cross department. You have one department of culture, aren't I right? Yes, we have a departure of culture, education, and science, which is all bundled together. Yes, so it's all together. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Our problem was, as many countries have the same problem, we had two separate departments and they weren't necessarily talking to each other or collaborating. And this is what's happening, beginning to happen. Okay. And that's really, really good. Obviously, nothing runs totally smoothly, but we are in so much better place. We now have a situation where there's a real acceptance that this is important and that we need to begin to create the space in the curriculum for arts learning and for the arts. And we've a long way to go, but much has been achieved, considering that, you know, there was a time when there was absolutely 
no space whatsoever. So we've come from, you know, from very little to a place where now we are much better. So yes, we're having these discussions and they're ongoing mm-hmm. and we're, we're part of them. And yes, so it did. It did. I suppose more than anything else, it allowed me to formulate my own thoughts. Mm. That's what research really does, isn't it? Yeah, it gives you the proof of something you might have already known in your gut. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. There's so much more we can talk about, but I think we've covered a lot. So I have another question for you. Is there anything that we haven't discussed yet that you feel is very important for our listeners to take away from this interview? I suppose one thing I I really think is very important has been the role of our Arts Council over the years. Mm -hmm. And that's very much in the thesis, as you'll see. And some of the people who've been involved over the years and have helped to address the whole question of arts in schools, you know, and the funding that and the support they've provided for that is significant. And it's wonderful to see that that now is all becoming part of a whole tapestry. But I think that does need to be mentioned very much. And the fact that we were, I think, maybe the second or third country in the world to have an arts council. Our arts council was founded in 1951. So um, we it's, it's got a long, a, a long history yeah. there. And so I suppose that would be important. The other thing I think is that, and this can't be overstated, the arts in schools works not because of the artists. It's because of the teachers. Hmm. That's a nice takeaway. And that's the bottom line. Mm -hmm. And where you have a teacher who wants to do this and has the enthusiasm, but also even more importantly, in some respects, has the support of her school principal and her school and or his school. You have every chance that something really, really amazing is going to happen and will happen. And they do affect the whole school, I think. You know, and I think rather than seeing schools who come back and look for work with artists year on year as something to be worried about, I think we should be delighted because we are creating that school has got a culture. Yeah. And that is what we're seeking to do to create a culture within schools. But I suppose, yeah, that would be the takeaway. One of the great takeaways that the single most important person in all of this is the teacher. That's a great one. So. I want to thank you for taking the time and giving us so much of your knowledge and inspiration and sharing your stories with us. We will share some of the images that you were talking about of the projects in our show notes so people can have some visuals with all your wonderful examples. Yeah, and I'll talk to my colleagues about some visuals to get to you and we'd be delighted. And it's been great to talk to you, Linda, because these are the conversations that kind of help to keep the enthusiasm and the creativity flowing from our side as well you know so that's really important I think I believe so I think it should be talked about more instead of less so thank you and I hope you continue with all the wonderful work you do oh thank you thank you thank you That brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you so much for listening to Tapping into Creativity. In our show notes, you can find more information about our guests and the subjects that were discussed in this interview. If you liked what you heard, you can help us reach many more listeners by hitting the subscribe button, giving us a five-star review, and sharing the podcast with your friends and colleagues. Tapping into Creativity is part of ITAPPD, 
which is short for International Teacher-Artist Partnership, Professional Development. We are currently building a model and training about partnership between teachers and artists in education. ITAPD facilitates a place and time where we can jointly develop our understanding, expertise and creativity on working with young people. We explore and play with the different perspectives teachers and artists have on behavior, development and language. If you want to know more about our project, please visit us on any social platform as i-tap-pd. This podcast was made possible by funding from the Erasmus Plus Strategic Partnership Program. Partners in ITAPD are the Education Center in Tralee, Center za Dramu u Edukaciji i Umetnosti, CEDEUM, Panelinio Dictio ja to Theatro Stin Ekpedevs, Stichting Copa, Kunsteducatie. We were your hosts, Linda and Manja, from Stichting Copa in the Netherlands. Audio editing was done by Yelda Shahidi. Hope you tap in with us again. Have a nice day.